Hello, and welcome to episode four of Penn Podcasts. In this episode, we'll be talking with Emily Ulrich, who is a consultant working at Point Advisory. Point Advisory is a sustainability strategy consultancy that focuses on providing strategic, technical, and audit and assurance services to its clients who span across the public, private, and social sectors. We hope you enjoy this episode. So hello, Emily. Welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. The pleasure is all ours. So let's launch right in. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? All right. So I'm a climate change and environment professional with a background in development cooperation and climate change and environmental education. Currently, I work for a small consultancy called Point Advisory, and they focus on a lot of different projects, but mainly on the topics of carbon, carbon markets, carbon forestry, natural resource management, and broader stakeholder engagement pieces. I also got one of my one of my hands in the human rights space, so I'm, I'm working on modern slavery assessments, for instance. So I kind of got the technical side of things, but also the social side of things. At the same time, my academic background is in geography and ethnology. So that basically the studies of cultures for those that don't know what ethnology is. So <laughs> that also means that I've always enjoyed working or basically combining natural and social sciences. As I personally think they should not be separated and, <laughs> and they work really well together. <laughs> so that yeah, that kind of stems from my from my bachelor's degree that I, I love the social and natural science equally. Yeah, and later on in life, I decided to to study a master's of environmental sciences just to boost my science knowledge a little bit, just because I was passionate about it. And, and I thought, why not? <laughs> but really, if I go back a little bit further than that... <clears throat> I think my passion around climate change especially sort of developed when I was in high school when I was around 13 or 14 years old and I think it was the first time that we really discussed climate change in school and I thought it is such an important topic and and so I, I had a conversation with the person that I was trusting the most and that I was really looking up to and the person that I thought knows everything, which um, who's my dad. <laughs> so he, he knows a lot of things. It's ridiculous. So I thought, you know, when you, and I was 13, 14, I was like, oh, of course I'm going to ask my dad about it and, and ask him what he thinks about climate change. And and he said to me, and he, to this day, he says that this conversation's never happened. But, <laughs> but I'm 100% sure that this happened. I think he was just like, no, 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 that was said that. Um, anyway, so I asked him, I just wanted to have a conversation about climate change. And I was like, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen? And he said, oh, no, the climate's changing, you know, for forever, really. So there's nothing really much to it. And maybe he just wanted to protect me or maybe he was just not really well versed in that topic. But I thought, well, if my dad's not really aware of the, the issue, then I, you know, that there's such an age to know more and to do more about it. And so, yeah, that's where I sort of kicked in. I was like, okay, this is going to 
become my favorite thing to to read on to research on to work on so that's how I also got involved in geography much more because geography kind of gives you the opportunity to look at things from a systems perspective and basically with a broader view on things rather than just focusing on specific topics but you just you link things with each other and and I really enjoyed that so that's how I came to study geography in the first place and just combine that with ethnology because that worked really well with each other. Human environment interactions were one of my focuses during my undergrad, for instance. So, yeah, that's maybe not a little bit about myself. Maybe that's a little bit longer than a little bit, but that's the, the background. No, that's perfect. Thank you. It's interesting to hear that your dad didn't know too much about climate change and that's actually what spurred you to study it. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose so. Even though, you know, now he's he's back up to speed. <laughs> and he agrees, you know, things can change. <laughs> but, yeah, that's that's at least, you know, I'm pretty sure that were other factors that played into into that. But um, that's, that's the one that's sticked really in my memory. And so from this passion for climate change evolving from that moment, how did this lead to your current job? So maybe I'll have to go back. So as I mentioned, I've worked in development cooperation. During my undergrad, I focused on climate change. And in ethnology, I focused on climate change in Indonesia pretty much. So I looked at how the Indonesian culture, for instance, perceived climate change. So I then naturally, as a geographer, you always lean towards the development cooperation space. For some reason, not sure, but a lot of <laughs> geographers actually work in that space. And I found that really fascinating. I think also because I come from a fairly rural area and I just wanted to escape it <laughs> as well. So, and, and we do have, we do, we do see climate change impacts where I'm from because it's a, it's a wine region. So winery and the winemaking culture is, you know, has to go with climate change. Like they, they've been impacted by changes in temperatures for years and years already. But I think I just wanted to put that in a broader perspective and go somewhere where people are actually very much impacted by it. So um, that's how I landed. Well, I'm not that's how, but in the end, I landed a, a job at one of the bigger development corporations called GIZ. That's the German, how do you say? international cooperation agency basically and then I was working as a consultant there providing policy advice to um, the Indonesian government and our working area was more focused on environmental education climate change education and awareness so we were working with school communities with teachers with local government at times as well that were running educational facilities all all over java which is the the main uh, island in indonesia and the most populous island and that also being indonesia being on a low line lying island and a country that's generally seen a lot of impact from climate change and also contributes quite a lot to to climate change through their um, heavy forestry practices and deforestation practices so i think that kind of opened another chapter in my life that I got really interested in in the roles of forests in climate change and climate mitigation and times also climate adaptation 
Yeah, and then after that, I just wanted to understand the the science around that a little bit better in terms of how climate change impacts forestry, and that's why I studied my master in environmental sciences at a university that focuses heavily on forestry. So I got all that knowledge, and I don't know. I lately realized that I've been sort of researching and reading in that space for ten years now. <laughs> so it's just kind of gradually. Evolved evolved by itself <laughs> that makes sense yeah absolutely and so now you're working for point advisory as a consultant mm-hmm. in your current role were there any discrepancies between what you thought this type of work would be like versus what it's actually like yeah <laughs> so first Oh, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be working in a team that is very supportive. For one, it's very communal and everyone is very like-minded. So that's been great. Some of us are obviously bigger activists than others, but we're all working towards the same goal and we often just share the same opinions and, <laughs> and share a lot of articles and sort of ideas in, in our group chats. So... That was a nice surprise because I didn't necessarily think that, you know, you can kind of exit a bubble, which is the university bubble, and jump into the next bubble that is very similar. So that was very fortunate. And and that also enables me to uphold my ideals and values and, you know, just not get disillusioned straight away because a lot of my coworkers hold up the same ideals. So in that sense, I have not been disappointed. I guess the, the negative, not that negative, but what is different to how I thought it was going to be and what it actually is like is that obviously we work on different projects and each project is very different in itself, whether it's it's one that is heavily stakeholder focused, stakeholder engagement focused, or one that's more focusing on data crunching um, exercises. And each project has its positives and negatives. but what I do realise is that you often in consultancy you work on something and you submit it to the client and then, then it's out of your hands. So you can advise someone to do something but you have no control over whether this is actually going to happen or not. And often, yeah, because we get engaged on a specific budget and you do realise while you're working on the project that there's so much more you can do and there's so much more stuff that you can advise on just to have a positive impact or for a client to have a positive impact within their organizations or beyond that but you're constrained by that budget and and then even if you as I said even if you advise something it might not happen and you can have these all these ideas what what clients can do and but it's just it's just out of your hands so I think that's where I kind of crashed with reality and I was like yeah right I can't just control everything <laughs> which I tend to want to do in in general in my personal life as well but um yeah I think that that's where I was like yeah right okay that's you know that that's the limits of our work and and I think on the other hand as well consultancy is always and, and consulting is such a shiny and fancy word but we are often not the people that work necessarily work on the ground and do the the work on the ground. Uh, we don't often get to do that as much. And I think 
that is really important so that you don't get lost in, and stay focused on, on what's what's actually feasible and what's you know what we can actually do in in real life because you can get carried away in your research and think this is going to be a great idea and you know this is can be implemented but in the end it depends on whether you know you, you can have an idea of whether something can be implemented but then the implementation on the ground looks completely different right and and then depends on the paper or it depends on obviously what it is you're talking about but it depends on whether the uptake is big enough um, or the politics within an organization, whether that's, you know, the ideas you bring forward, whether they're being accepted, all these kind of things that you have to consider. I think I was just not aware of that when I started. Fair enough. That's a great response. Given now that you've had this experience and you understand how consultancy works in that regard, what skills have you found the most valuable in your line of work? I think the most useful skill is communication. And, and that, that applies to everything, really. So first of all, I often work with people, and I think a lot of people in consultancy work with people. <laughs> it's not, not a very isolated job. You often work in a team, you work with your clients, you work with clients of your clients sometimes um or you would work with a working group you know that is your client pretty much or represents your client so it's really about understanding each other's needs and respecting each other's values and understanding where people come from if that's their well-view their beliefs their expectations on a project and and that comes down to communicating so what do I want? What do I not want? Like, well, where do I see the limits? What can we do as a, cons- as a consultancy? Like, what are you asking us to do? And can we do that? And can we deliver it in a way that you're happy with it? So, and then again, it, when, when, when I sit on a report and work on a final delivery, however that, you know, that can be a report, but that can be something completely different. But then I have to go back to, okay, what do they want to get out of this project and how can I communicate that really clearly right so if we're working on an action plan it really comes down to what are the next steps for them and what do they need to know and how can I communicate that in a very clear and succinct manner that they can you know that it's not another thing that ends up in their drawer (laughs) as something that has been done but what how can they actually use it and implement it and that for me that comes down to to communicating it verbally but also in a written form and I think something that relates to that really deeply is working with people so I found that a really really useful skill I know that everyone is dreads sort of the group (laughs) work assignments because they can be quite challenging but they are a really good experience I think especially the ones that you know are not so great (laughs) where you've experienced a bit of trouble with other people or you've even you know you've experienced trouble with work um, group assignments yourself and you can learn about how you can handle that if you're if you're uncomfortable with that situation because some people are really good working by themselves other people are really good working with people you know it's it's, it just depends and and if you're not particularly comfortable working with people so that's something I think you just have to, to work around so what works best with, with you or for you so that you can work with other people because you will have to, right, if that is within your team, but also you will have to work with the people that pay you. 
which in consultancy, that's the client and well, the client pays your boss and your boss pays you, but in the end, you're working with a client. Um, and then thirdly, so we got communication, now we got teamwork. And I think really important is also um, research and analysis skills, which we all learn at uni. I found that really important. Where can I find information really quickly? How can I summarize what I found really quickly? I think just all these years, reading um, papers, summarizing them, putting them into a different format, I think that helped me a lot in what I'm doing now because some of the projects do involve quite a bit of research and, and I enjoy that. And I think it's, it's a really valuable skill to have, especially if you're working on something you're not super familiar with. And that's, that's no problem at all. You will experience that when you get, go out into the workforce and you think, oh yeah, I got this. And then you can get put on a project and you're like, oh shoot, I actually don't know what you're talking about. So, and that, that's completely normal, you know, that, that everyone, I'm pretty sure everyone experiences that once they get into a job, they're like, shit, I have to actually read a lot about this topic because I, you know, and I know maybe twenty percent of it, and and that comes down to to just getting your wrapping your head around something really quickly through research and analysis. Yeah, and lastly, I think my last point on that is organizational skills. I found them really important, and we gain that through oh, generally, I guess, through going through life, going through degrees academic degrees but also if you're organizing your own research project I think that is really valuable how do I manage my own project how do I manage myself (laughs) it's very important and especially time management I find that really really crucial yeah and then again it depends on on the job that you want to get out and you end up getting in consultancy project management is super important skill and how do I manage time how do I how do I manage myself in government that's potentially not necessarily the case so if I contrast that with my development corporation experience where I was a consultant as well but I was employed by the government and the funding came from the government and you know it was a long-term project so we had less of you didn't have to manage your time as much as you do when you when you work in the private sector because clients expect you to deliver something within six weeks whereas in development cooperation it's a project that has been running for three years and that will be running for another three years so there is obviously a bit of a time constraint involved with that but not as much as as in consultancy that is focused on private sector yeah does that make sense (laughs) absolutely what a good collection of some hard and soft skills, so to speak, between the communication and building teamwork to the technical side of project management and research and organizational skills. Following up on that, are there any subjects or types of knowledge you would recommend to students prior to entering this industry then? Yeah. What are my ideas on that? So I don't think we have a subject on project management per se, but I think if you were to do research, if you were to do the research subject, I think it's really valuable to go through all the different stages and they will and some of the some of the classes or subjects will touch on project management I'm pretty sure I think that is really important and then for me personally 
and that might not be applicable to everyone but I think for me it was important to get a bit more community perspective so I really enjoyed the subjects that were community focused because it's often if if it's for if if you work for Delp or for Delight or so you always work with the community and so it's about their values their ideas their perspectives and I really enjoyed the climate change adaptation subject because that that gave you really broad overview but it was it was quite specific just to adaptation yeah it, it, but again it depends on on what your passion is what you're really interested in so I think choose the subjects that you're really interested in because these are the ones that are the most valuable for you because you will first you will enjoy them and when you enjoy them you are motivated to read and to engage so these are the first two things regardless of you know whether you're thinking about a job or not it's also just about choosing your subjects in the first place but these are the ones that you will learn the, the most as well and where you learn the most you will take the most out and can apply it to whatever job you you're going into so I think it's it's less about a specific subject or knowledge necessarily it's more about develop your strength develop your field of expertise without losing the broader context of things so if you for instance focus on adaptation climate change adaptation it's still valuable to to learn about climate mitigation because that goes hand in hand right but yeah, I think I think develop technical skills through one through these kind of subjects, but also develop soft skills through some other research subjects that you will have to take when you do um, do research. But then it depends also on yeah, try to to go to as many free events as you can that are sort of related to your field and help you develop more soft skills. I suppose, yeah. Great response. Thank you for that. So I love the fact you went into both the skills and knowledge you can acquire at university as well as the external skills of attending seminars and lectures on subjects that you're interested in. Moving on to our final question, Emily. Having been an international student yourself who has successfully found work in the Australian climate, is there any advice you would give to current international students who are looking for work after their degree? Yeah. Perseverance is one. <laughs> I think it's the biggest. <laughs> it will it will take a while to, to get a job. I think that that's just the reality. Some some of us are really fortunate and are just at the same place at the at the right or at the right <laughs> the right time in the right place. But yeah, sometimes you're not, and sometimes it just takes a little bit longer, and that's fine. It 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 doesn't first it doesn't have anything to do with you necessarily with your skill sets with your personality or anything like that don't get hold up into these hold up in these negative thoughts because it's it's just generally very challenging because there are not that many jobs out there in our field in sustainability and climate change so it will just take a little time my second advice on that is be true to who you are and what you want to do so I know sometimes you just have to go out into the field and start with something, even if it's if it's a job that is not 100% aligned with what you want to do, that's fine. But still think about whether you would have to actually neglect your, your values and ideals. If you do, then it's probably not the right job. If you don't and, you know, it's like 80% of what you want to do and 20% not, you know, 
not that many tasks that you feel comfortable with potentially or you enjoy but it's still you know 80 percent or even if it's 60 percent is still what you want to do so I think I think that's a that's a good outcome so it won't be the perfect job necessarily straight away but yeah look for something that you you're remotely interested in though that yeah just go for jobs that you would really want to do I suppose if it's if it's something that you you know you read the, your position description you're like mm, eh, I'm not quite sure just don't go for it because it will it will cost you a lot of energy and time and then if you get it and then you sit there and you're like oh actually I don't think I want to do that 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 won't make you happy that won't make anyone happy really in the end my third advice is step up for yourself especially if your personality is not necessarily the the loudest be the loudest when it comes to your needs and and your ideas. I had to learn that the hard way as well because I'm not a very um super loud person. I can be a loud person, don't get me wrong. But if it comes to a group dynamic, I'm more an observer. Don't, you know, again, be true to yourself. Don't try to be someone who you're not. But when it's when it comes down to, to really crucial things, that is salary or if it's your ideas in a project, step up for yourself because no one else will do it for you in the end everyone kind of it's for themselves even if you're in a team and and it's a great team and everyone is really nice you still you still have to stand up for yourself because in a lot of cases no one else will and that is a bit sad but that that's just the reality I suppose and and if you have these colleagues that's great you know but then then again if if they have to stand up for you Maybe you just have to step up a little bit more so that they don't have to jump in for you as much, I suppose. And then what relates to that is respect yourself and, and know what you're worth. We we sometimes tend to sell ourselves for less. That we're like, oh, maybe I'm not really an expert in this and that. Well, you, you probably are, and you just you're just very modest. <laughs> yeah, I think you can you can you know once you've studied something for two years, you can say you have a very you know profound knowledge in something I, I think that is really important and you, you have a degree for a purpose and yeah know what you're worth don't try to sell yourself for less if you if you come across someone proposing a salary with that it's maybe not what you expected you can say look I really appreciate that offer this is awesome I would love to work for you but I think I will be worth more basically and then you can you can outline why you be worth more like what value do you bring to the organization what skills do you have that other people might not potentially have and then they can still say no and then it's still up to you whether you want to accept that offer or not but at least you've outlined how much you're worth and you can go back and think about that and say like oh I'm, I'm really proud even if you accept an offer that's not necessarily what you were hoping for at least you can go back and think good I at least stood up for myself and you know if I can still keep an eye out for another job that might be a bit better paid or might be a bit more in line with what I was hoping to to get as, as a job yeah thank you for that very honest and insightful response Emily I'm sure all the international students who are listening to this podcast have taken some points out of that that's amazing 
so that basically wraps up our interview, Emily. And just on a parting note, I was wondering if you'd be okay for students to contact you should they want to follow up with some more questions or are interested in consulting work or networking with you? Yeah, sure. I'm always happy to have a chat or a coffee or tea or just in the park. They can reach out to me by email or LinkedIn or Facebook. Yeah, always happy to, to chat. I can't guarantee that uh, I'll be a wealth of knowledge, but I'm always very happy to support and, and connect where I can. I think you're selling yourself short, Emily. You have been a wealth of knowledge for this interview. And <laughs> See, there we go. <laughs> Well, very grateful to have you on the show at the very least. And thank you for making the time to speak with our listeners and impart your knowledge to the PEN membership and anyone else listening. No problem. All right. Thank you, Emily. 